Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Clean hands, pure heart, good grace, good God. I just think that is um, excellent lyric just to describe uh, where I feel like the church is at. Just kind of understanding that right now in the 21st century. It seems to be a reoccurring theme where churches are um, exploring this idea of clean hands, pure hearts. Uh, uh, God is good. His grace is good. Uh, it's like we're getting into a place where more people are being able to receive that. Um, so you're starting to hear it in the music a little bit more, which is a beautiful thing. And uh, when, our, when the worship music, when the things that we sing uh, line up with our identity in Christ, uh, it's just, it, there's such an opportunity for us to enter to a place of prayer, but also into a place of receiving, right? Because we're just singing what's truth. Um, we're, we're, we're singing what we already accept, and it's just such a freeing moment. So it's been... Um, when I hear songs like that, I'm always encouraged and, and really touched by that. Um, well, this morning, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Robin, and uh, uh, my, my wife Deanna and I, we have two girls, uh, just sent them off there, just trying to keep them contained over there in a little corner as best as I could. Got one asleep, but the other one, we just, just in time, off to the nursery, so we won that one. Just in time, because it was about to get crazy. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, before I start, let's just, uh, uh, let's just acknowledge the Father with us and uh, uh, receive his acceptance of us. Uh, Father, uh, what, a, what an awesome response uh, just to sing these songs together as, as your body, uh, just to hear each other's voices lifted in worship. Uh, we are your children and, uh, and, and you sing over us. You, you were singing over us before we started singing this morning. You were singing over us before we even started singing this morning, before we even started to find the words to say to praise you. We needed somebody else to give us the words to praise you, but you needed no prompting. You loved us before we loved you, and so we just accept your acceptance of us this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, uh, I'm going to take you to school a little bit, okay, so we're going to go on a bit of a journey, if you don't mind, and uh, uh, I, I love reading Old Testament narratives, uh, I just, I, uh, Josh actually shared not too long ago, uh, Josh Gordon shared uh, about how when he was a kid he used to love to read the Old Testament stories uh, in church services because it was something to do, but he also just loved reading, and I was much of the same, I just loved all those stories about war and gore, and, and armies, and killing, and, and stuff like that. But uh, I, I was always uh, moved uh, by those stories because I, I knew I could, in some way, plant myself in what was happening. And uh, one of my favorite Old Testament characters is King David, right? Now, everybody says David's their favorite Old Testament character. And, 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 I, and I have a theory as, as to why that is, uh, it's because David in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament narratives, especially in First and Second Samuel, is one of the most relatable characters in the Bible. The perspective that we get into his life through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is unlike any other characters in the Bible. Not only do we get the narrative of a story, but we get the Psalms that also expose the deep longings of his heart. He is one of the most emotionally intelligent 
people in the Bible. So what I mean by that, he's, 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 like, he's like the most comfortable with expressing his emotions, or at least the Holy Spirit gave us the blessing and the privilege of seeing this heart just torn open before God. And, and his life has incredible successes and incredible losses. And so I say that he's the most relatable because most of us, no matter where we're coming from, because of the range of experiences David has, we could find ourselves in a story. Uh, one of the things about David that I really, really connect uh, with is, is just how he experienced so much rejection. David, in the Bible, especially in 1 and 2 Samuel, through the course of his life, if you track with his, his storyline, he experiences numerous accounts of rejection. But God's loyalty to David is unmatched in the face of rejection. And he's one of the individuals that we're going to see contrasted as we talk about 1 Samuel today. Um, he's one of the people that we're going to see contrasted uh, who expresses or deals with rejection in a way that I think is, is not compared with anybody else in the Bible. And he's always trusting in God's loyalty to him despite that. Now, here's the thing with rejection. Um, I think most of us have experienced it. I could just say, okay, who here has experienced rejection? Hands up. Anybody? Do you know what I mean by rejection? Yeah, you probably know. Uh, uh, rejection could be as, as simple as an experience of being bullied. Um, maybe you weren't chosen to be on the team you wanted to be on. Maybe when they were choosing teams, you were the person that they said, oh, we'll leave you to last. We'll just let you go with whoever, right? You were the first person chosen um, when they were doing teams and stuff. Now, everybody experiences it. But the thing is, is that I'm not too sure if God is afraid of us experiencing rejection. I'm not too sure if he's afraid of that. It's a tough thing for me to say because rejection is something that is relevant in my life. It's something that I experienced growing up, and it really shaped who I am. It shaped my sense of identity. It shaped how I saw God. It shaped how I responded to others. And you know that about yourselves. It does that to you. It affects how you see yourself. But the thing is that for all those experiences, I'm not sure if I could trade them for the truth for the life that I experienced on account of it. I'm not sure if I could trade it because when Adam and Eve, I love how Ross said this a few sermons past, a few weeks past, Adam and Eve were designed for unconditional acceptance. Why were they designed for unconditional acceptance? Because they were created in the image of God. God is love. Take you to school for just a little bit. We always say uh, agape love is unconditional love. That's how we use it in the Greek. But if we're going to the Old Testament, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. So the Old Testament, in ancient Hebrew, that word love is equal to, a, um, when translated, is equal to agape in this way. It's called chesed. 
And you have to say it with some phlegm. You have to say, chesed, okay? And chesed also means unconditional love. But more often than not, when translators are going to the Hebrew text and they want to translate um, that, that word chesed, they most commonly use or try to go towards that term loyalty. Now, it could also be unconditional love, right? It could also be that. But more often than not, they like to use the term loyalty. They feel like it, it actually fits more appropriately um, uh, with the description of the word chesed. God is unconditional love. He's loyal. So these individuals were created, Adam and Eve were created for unconditional acceptance, to experience the loyalty of God. When sin entered their beings, sin in the flesh, unfortunately, programmed them to now define themselves no longer by that vertical definition that they were completely accepted. Now, they were independent of God in defining their worth. So they could look across the room to somebody else and see something else that somebody else has and realize, hey, they have something I don't have. Something's wrong with me. They looked at each other and they felt, what was the word? Shame. Right? They looked at each other and they felt ashamed. They, were, they realized that they were naked, so they covered themselves up. They were made in the image of God to receive unconditional acceptance, but now through sin in the flesh, they are now defining their worth horizontally rather than vertically. And so that potential for rejection is now prevalent, and God realizes that about each and every one of us. But the fact is that we're not going to find it horizontally. It's still meant, we're still programmed, we're still designed to experience unconditional love and acceptance and loyalty. And that's supposed to be defined through our relationship with our Heavenly Father, with, with God. So, explaining this in more depth and more detail, we have to understand that each and every one of us are going to experience rejection. That, that, that's just going to happen. Unfortunately, that's what sin in the flesh does to us. It makes us reject others because we don't want to be rejected. It makes us not accept others because we want other people to reject them. But then we also receive rejection too. So I don't know if God's actually afraid of us experiencing it. Because sometimes when we come into those places, we realize what the truth is. I realize that my identity was not in what I have, who I know, who likes me, what I'm able to do, what my job is, how many likes I have. I come into a place of reality where I realize that the dysfunction that's going on horizontally is what it is. It's dysfunction. But I can go to my most heavenly father and be loved and be fully accepted. So a little bit about my own story. Uh, struggled with rejection growing up. Um, and uh, my, my father was here actually last weekend, and he's a wonderful guy. I just want to honor him. Um, he took a huge step of faith in being here uh, last weekend, and I really appreciated that. Uh, we were celebrating my daughter Naomi's dedication, and uh, it was so good for him to be there. Uh, but we didn't have the greatest relationship growing up. 
um, in some ways that he wasn't there as much as I would have liked him to be. And uh, Josh said this very well too, uh, not too many weeks ago. As a child, uh, you interpret things not necessarily as they actually are, right? We are great recorders of information, but we're not great interpreters. And so my dad's absence made me feel like there was something wrong with me. And so I was looking for acceptance horizontally, wherever I could. And uh, most of you know my story. Uh, I've shared with most of you about uh, my love for, for track and field. Uh, I was very uh, skilled at uh, running the 100 meter. And uh, at the age of 15, I was competing uh, locally in, uh, in Ottawa. I grew up in Ottawa. Uh, competed locally at local clubs. Competed uh, within a school board and uh, actually got the chance to compete uh, against other teens in Ontario. So I was doing very well at this, and I had this coach who was like a second father to me. Lovely man. Really just helped. Um, uh, actually, I remember that he actually helped us with the cost to be able to go uh, uh, away, because we actually had to travel for me to go to the Ontario Championships. And he was right behind me. He was cheering me on. I, I ran the 100-meter race. Uh, there's like eight people in a race, and I came eighth. But it was still fairly good for, for that age group, and so I was feeling really good about myself, but mostly because he was right behind me. He's like, this is amazing. You did such a good job. He was encouraging me. I was like, this is awesome. So the best thing about that is I started to get a lot of attention, too. I was getting attention from friends and people at school. I was getting attention from girls. And so all of this is just like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm starting to feel really good about myself. So grade 10 year, I'm like, I'm going back to track. I'm going to enjoy this. It's going to be a great time. Uh, my track coach uh, scheduled a practice. And I'm not too sure. I still am so foggy about this. He scheduled a practice uh, that I wasn't sure if I, it was, if I should go, whether or not um, it was mandatory. I thought it may have been optional. So I, just, I said, well, maybe I'm not going to that practice. So the next practice there was, I went to the practice, and I saw that people had arrived early, and they were all kind of standing in the foyer of our school, and they were stretching and getting ready to go to the practice. And so I was going to go and join them a little bit earlier. I'm walking down the stairwell. My coach sees me from within the foyer, and there's like stairwell doors like this. So my coach sees me from a distance, and he comes in to meet me before I even reach the foyer. Opens the door, comes in, shuts the door. He tore me a piece. He, he, he told me like I was really rude for being late and, and, uh, and that it wasn't fair to the other people. And, and for whatever reason, I can't remember everything that he said, but he was raising his voice. He was very upset. And then he left and went back into foyer with everybody else who was stretching and getting ready. So here I am, 16 years old, and I go out and... I go on the foyer with everybody else, and everybody knows I just got yelled at because they could hear it. It was super embarrassing. Well, let me tell you, uh, I didn't go very far with track and field that year. I was pretty discouraged. Uh, I don't think he knew in that moment what his acceptance meant to me. So for him to do that, I felt terribly rejected. Uh, I didn't nearly perform as well that year, and, um, and I actually even just stopped doing track and field. I was like, that's it. I'm not doing it. Because I was so hurt by that. And I could think back and think, well, maybe there's some reasons why you might want to do that to a student. Maybe there's some reason why you may want to 
um, make an example of them in front of the others, but it just didn't seem right in the moment to me. And still, even to this day. So I struggled with that. It was a really painful experience for me. Um, I started trying to go to youth group. My, my mom was forcing me to go to youth group at our, at our church. I wasn't really a believer yet. Uh, I said, fine, mom, I'll go to this one winter retreat thing. I went to this winter retreat thing um, and, together with our whole youth group. And I remember that there was this big worship time. Everybody was really into it. It was Pentecostal, so it was loud. And I'm like, I'm like in the back, back corner, just arms folded. God, you got to show up. God, you, you got to do something because I, I just, I, I don't know what it's worth right now. I need you to show up. Uh, God met with me in such a powerful way that night, just individually by myself praying, that in the morning I remember looking at myself in the mirror and thinking that I looked different to myself. I didn't even look the same. Just God met me so powerfully. It was, it was a tangible moment that I just needed to know that he was alive and well and he cared about me and he knew how I felt. Uh, I, I, I don't regret that experience. And I'm not too sure if God was afraid of me experiencing it because what it did is that it opened my eyes to my need for loyalty. I can't judge myself horizontally anymore. I know that I was created for this. I was created to experience unconditional acceptance and it was present and it was real in my life. Uh, but all of us have experienced this. We can all tell stories about that uh, and, and how those things affect us. But one thing I want us to look at just really quickly is, is, how, is how this was actually tracked through the person, um, uh, the, the, the Old Testament character of David and how he dealt uh, with it. And I believe that there's something there really important, a really good nugget of truth for us just to kind of walk away with this morning to know that whatever we're facing, or even if we're facing rejection right now, uh, that the loyalty of God, his loyalty to us, can sustain us. But not only that, it is actually all that we, we, we truly need. So I'm looking at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. We're going to look at the whole chapter, and you're like, yes! All right, we're going to stay right here till 2 p.m. Okay, let's do it. All right? So 1 Samuel chapter uh, 30 is what we're looking at. And this is just an excellent story. So I just want you to kind of open up there, put your finger there uh, if you got it in your Bible. And, and, and yeah, we're, we're, we're just going to, we're going to look at something just really impactful out of that chapter. But before I get there, let's, let's take a little look at, at David. What brought him to this point? Because I believe in chapter 30, there is a particular vo- uh, verse. There's a particular event there's a particular moment in David's life where, where everything changes. This is like the, the fulcrum. This is, where, this is where David steps into his own. Uh, and, and if we don't capture the, the, the building of action to this climax, then, then, you, then you lose the impact of this verse. So we know about David, right? Uh, David was anointed by Samuel. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel. Uh, to be king of Israel. Uh, so Samuel, before this, Samuel goes to David's family. He goes to his father, Jesse, and he, and he says, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be king of Israel. So Samuel says, okay, let me get you all my sons. So he brings out all of his sons, right? It's just like the Gordon clan, right? Just line up a bunch of people, right? Here we go, right? And, 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 and Samuel's looking at all these guys like, these people look 
This, they're looking at one of them and say, this, guy's, this guy's got to be king. And God says, no, that guy's not king. And he goes to the next guy, and he's like, this guy's got to be king. And God's like, no, nope, that guy's not king. And so he goes through, like, all of the sons, and Jesse, and then afterwards Samuel's like, okay, wait, none of these guys are supposed to be king. Jesse, where's the, do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's one out in the field. I forgot. Yeah, my wife's been pregnant for a very long time. I kind of lost track, and this one showed up, like, five years ago. I, I, just, I just realized it was here. Let me go call that one. So he goes and he calls David. David comes over. Uh, his father doesn't even remember him to bring him out. Find out we learn about David. He, uh, his father, Jesse, now remembers him and says, hey, how about you go serve your brothers who are on the battlefront with the Philistines? Go bring them some food. David goes to the battle lines and uh, he sees Goliath, the giant, right? Taunting the people of Israel, you know, tearing down God. And, uh, and, the, and the, all the sons are, all the sons are, are kind of terrified by this, but then David's like, oh no, no, this is what we're going to do, right? Like, we're, we're going to go there, we're going to attack them. Like, how could this guy, you know, uh, attack and insult our people? And the brothers get mad at him. They're like, no, they're like, be quiet, right? Like, they get frustrated with him. He's rejected again. David goes, beats Goliath. He gets accepted into Saul's house, King Saul's house, right? First king of Israel. Gets accepted into his home to play the harp. He gets to sit at his table. David finally finds acceptance. He finds a place where he can call home for a little bit. But David's also very successful at killing people. (laughs) He's still very successful at being a soldier. So he gets people praising him for doing a good job, right? He's got women chanting how awesome he is and how Saul is not as awesome. So what does Saul do? Um, Because, and Saul does this because he, he assumes that God's loyalty to him is about his title. So when he sees that somebody else is threatening his title, he rejects David and wants to kill him. So David's rejected again. Now he's on the run. David's on the run. He's got to go hide in caves from Saul because Saul wants to kill him because he's jealous of him. And he ends up hanging out with the Philistines, who are the enemies of Israel. He's hanging out with the Philistines. One of the generals, his name is Akish, is like, David, you're awesome. I really like you. I want you to come and fight alongside us. David's like, okay. All of David's buddies who were loyal to him um, in the Israelite army are joining him. Sorry, guys, this is a long story. We're going to get there, I'm telling you. Everybody comes along with him. David goes to fight alongside the Philistine army. The Philistine commanders, the rest of them, see David's with them, and they're like, uh, we don't like David. Uh, don't you remember? He took our foreskins like a few chapters ago, right? <laughs> like, we don't want anything to do with David. Like, he is, he is trouble, right? So everyone's like, uh... So Akish says, look, David, I like you. You're a good fighter. Um, you have a bunch of friends who like you, so that's kind of nice. But you can't fight with us. I'm sorry, you got to go. I love how actually this is, I think it's in First uh, uh, Samuel 29. David actually says, but what did I do to deserve this? Reject it again. So here we're getting to First Samuel 30, okay? I had to bring you on this journey, right? Here we get to 1 Samuel 30. David is leaving, and I want, to, I want you to repeat this after me. He's leaving on a three-day journey. Can you say three days? three days? Three days, okay. 
he's up north fighting with the Philistines. He has to leave that and take a three-day journey to Ziklag, which is like south, south, south um, uh, part of the, the nation of Israel. In Ziklag, David and his army and his buddies have left their women and children. They left their women and children, their cattle, all their stuff. While they're gone, the Amalekites, the enemies of God, this rogue um, nomad nation, goes and attacks Ziklag. They take the women and children. They take all their possessions and they burn Ziklag to the ground. David is journeying three days. They get to Ziklag. I, I want you to just be there with me in a moment, right? The shock, the horror. Where are our women and children? Have they taken them as slaves? Did they kill them? Are they buried? Are they burnt? Where are they? They can't find them. David's friends were with him, his band of loyal buddies, are so distraught that they are threatening to kill David. When I read that originally, a few times as a young child, I kind of passed over that. But for whatever reason, recently, it was like, man, this is, this is heavy. This is really heavy. Now even his friends have rejected him. And they're threatening to kill him. They're saying, you're not even worth to be alive right now. If you've ever been in leadership and you know the, the stress of trying to lead something to, to get a goal or make something happen and to appeal to many people and to find success and you don't find it, like this kind of failure is probably the worst thing you can experience. And, and he's just at his wit's end. And I want to bring you right down. So if you've got your Bible open, I want to bring you right down to what, um, what the Word of God says here. It's in... 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people, so that's his buddies, spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, for each of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord as God. Completely rejected. Everything's removed. Everything horizontally that you could discern would give you any point of identity and purpose, it's totally gone now. Everything is, is up in the air. And what does he do? He leans in and he realizes that despite all of the rejection that he's faced, that he could trust a most loyal God. One thing I want to point out about that verse in particular, so even if you still have it open there, uh, is the term Lord. Now, there's multiple ways that you could describe God using the Hebrew. So you could say it's Elohim. There's multiple names for God uh, that you could use. But it's so interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of this to say, David, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, when you ever see the word Lord in Old Testament narratives or in Scripture, Lord is a covenant term. So I don't say um, to my wife, Deanne, oh, that girl. Oh, yeah, that girl who's with me. Uh, she's really nice and she's got nice red hair. I like her. That girl. That girl uh, is awesome. 
uh, I have a covenant term that I use with my wife, and the term is wife, right? It's a covenant term. It's a loaded word. It means that I have responsibilities. It means that the wedding was expensive, and the honeymoon was expensive, and, uh, and I really want her to be happy because otherwise I won't be happy, right? Wife is a loaded, loaded term. When you see Lord, it's a covenant term. It's a term that God wanted the people of Israel to use to describe his loyalty to them, his relationship to them, his unconditional acceptance of them. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And everything got better right away. Not exactly. David strengthened himself in the Lord as God. And he turns to um, Abiathar the priest. He says, bring me the ephod. So now I'm reading on 1 Samuel 30, uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 7. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band who did this? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, This is God answering. Pursue, for you shall. Let me get that there. For you shall overtake and surely rescue. So David set out and 600 men, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Basor, where those uh, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 men stayed behind, for they were too exhausted to cross the brook of Basor. Now, I want to pick you up. I want you to follow with me just something um, very quickly here. Just continuing on. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, Oh, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. I just want to stop there. When was the last time we were talking about three days? David was with the Philistines three days ago. Let's keep reading. We made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, this band, uh, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them. I love that word struck. It's like he obliterated them. You could say something, but struck? Anyway. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. 
David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether great, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Now, any time, again, in, in, in Old Testament narrative, if you see that people are numbering things, it means like this is very significant. If people are numbering, they're saying, um, nothing was missing. David brought back all. Um, David also captured all the flocks and herds. This is very significant. In this moment, he had lost all these items, lost all these things, but now they were all returned to him. But not only were they returned to him, but they returned to him in perfect condition. Not only did he get them all back, but all the things that he, uh, in the, at the same time as receiving all those things back, he also received more on top of it because he also got the flocks and the herds and so on. Now, three days, right? I want to go back to this comment about three days. David was there with the Philistines, rejected by Achish, when this Egyptian was left behind. Without that Egyptian being left behind three days ago, David didn't know where to turn. He didn't know where to go. This Egyptian was the key to finding what he needed. It's almost as if God knew this was going to happen. It's almost as if maybe God purposed this to demonstrate his loyalty to David, to demonstrate his loyalty to the people of Israel. Three days. God was not unaware of his pain. He wasn't unaware of his suffering. He was totally aware. But not only in the midst of that, he knew he had more. Um, he knew that he had a plan for David. And David trusted. He trusted in the loyalty of God. What we see after that is that David moves on from this point uh, and he gives of his spoil. He gives it to the rest of his men and he actually goes back to the people of Judah where, um, uh, that, that were loyal to him and he was giving of those things to him. And God's God's abundant grace to him was now overflowing and blessing other people. And I think that is, that is where this moment is where the gospel meets us. Not the same because David, obviously, is before the cross and is before the resurrection. It's before Jesus. But haven't we all been in those places too where we experience rejection? We experience hurt? We saw that we were at a place of loss um, and, we, and we knew that our sole foundation, our strength is only going to be the Lord. David also came to this place, but we've also been there too. But, our, but God's loyalty to us was never based on our ability to be loyal to him. Matter of fact, Jesus himself was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus himself was rejected by the, um, even rejected by the disciples, by those who were close to him, and went to the cross, a brutal death, so that he could become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 
and be accepted fully by God so that God's loyalty to us would never have to be questioned. It's, it, it, it's, un, it's unforeseen. It's something that David and Moses and Abraham, all these forefathers of the gospel, wish that they could see. But we've experienced that now. So when we go through life and we experience some of these similar things, we can trust in the loyalty of God to be with us, to track with us, to know that he has a plan to support and to save us. Uh, in closing right now, uh, I just want to touch on just one quick thing. I know that um, often or not uh, with us, we, we kind of stop when it comes to uh, when we're experiencing the gospel or we're living out the Christian faith, we kind of stop at this place where we're like, okay, well, this is great for me. This is really fantastic. I'm really thankful that God has saved me. Um, and, and our Christian walk, our Christian journey can be about me in Christ. It could be about how Christ has saved me. God is loyal to me. And that's truth. And it's something to be celebrated. However, since we've been fully accepted by the Lord, we're now free to love others unconditionally. Or we're free to invite other people into the exact same experience. One other thing about the story of David I just want to touch on very quickly. David's life goes on, continues, and he experiences even more rejection. If you know the story about his son Absalom, his son Absalom rebels against him. The rest of the kingdom goes along with his son, and David says, that's it, okay, fine, I'm leaving. He leaves the palace, leaves Jerusalem, goes on a long walk, one of the supporters of King Saul, uh, who obviously hates David, finds David along the path and starts chewing him out. Starts calling him names. More rejection. After he's been king, after all the exploits that he's had, again, he's not escaping this in his life. But one important detail. So we read about the Cherethites. The Cherethites um, were a group that the Amalekites had also raided. But when David went back and he recovered all the stuff from Ziklag, we're going back in the story, when he went and recovered that, he also saved the Cherethites. The Cherethites were actually sort of a, a rebel group. They were kind of mercenaries who would just kill for hire. They would just jump on whatever kingdom wanted to do that for um, them. But they made themselves loyal to David. They made themselves loyal to David and they stuck with David all through that journey. And whenever he had battles, they were in the forefront fighting for him. And sometimes we stop and we think about what God has done in us is limited, is limited only to what um, is present for my own life. But God wants to pour out his grace in our lives and, and into a place of abundance that reports onto other people's lives. And there is a unique opportunity for us to bless each other because of the loyalty of God that acceptance from God could free us to do that. And the Cherethites came alongside, they fought beside David for years, and they honored what he did. But what they were actually honoring is that they were honoring what God did. They were honoring God's loyalty to David. And so we're just blessed to be brought into this place of, of, of absolute power, but absolute love and acceptance through God. And again, God's not, I don't believe God's afraid of us experiencing rejection but he delights at the same time in coming alongside and rescuing and proving his loyalty to us. We just need to turn our eyes to him to receive that. 
So um, let me just pray to close. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for uh, your, this narrative. It's, we could see ourselves in it. We, we see the journeys and the, and the trials that um, David faced. We could see it in our own selves and our own experiences. But the truth is that we know, uh, we, can, we can see through these stories that if you were loyal to David, who wasn't even in Christ, how much more loyal you would be to us? We are in you. Um, we're children of God. We have clean hands, pure hearts. Uh, we received your good grace. And you are absolutely a good God. But we're not lacking anything in this life. When we, things don't go our way horizontally, we know uh, that we have been fully accepted. We have everything that I need, we need in you. And so um, I pray that uh, through everything that's been expressed today, that you would reveal that to our hearts, how you've been loyal to us, and maybe even in the face of pain and rejection that we have, are currently facing or have faced, we can see you at work, your loyalty towards us. Praise right now in Jesus' name. Amen.